Welcome everyone. Welcome to Freedom International live stream. With me are Jane Marquis, Dr. Jane Marquis, an MD from uh, Canada with her Empowered podcast, and Steve from Asia with Awakened Mind podcast, and Hartmut Schumacher of Go Your Own Path podcast, and John of Video Fitness, and for our special guest today, we have no other than the famous Ben Fuchs of Coast to Coast. And welcome, Ben. Thank you so much. And and I really say famous because first I love Coast to Coast and I know John loves Coast to Coast. And I know other people in other countries other than Canada and US have heard about Coast to Coast. And whenever they said, let's hear from the critical care news or then Ben comes in and there you will not you don't have to miss that because it's very informative and he's really one of a kind pharmacist and I hope there's all pharmacists should be like him so I'll just read a little bit about ben, Benjamin Knight Fuchs okay and welcome again thank you so Ben Fuchs is a registered pharmacist nutritionist and cosmetic chemist who has been compounding custom medication formulating nutritional and skincare products and consulting with doctors and patients since graduating from the university of colorado school of pharmacy in 1986 and i today we just heard that he even just opened a company in germany for her for his skin products so keep an eye on that okay and Mr. Fuchs is an accomplished speaker and for the past 22 years has been lecturing nationwide on the importance of strategic use of cosmetics and nutritional supplementation for healthy skin and bodies. And thanks, Ben, because who would not want to have a healthy skin and look beautiful? Because whether you're in person or online, you better have a good skin. <laughs> and so Mr. Fuchs is recognized nationally for his work as on-the-air pharmacist, nutritionist host of the Bright Side Radio program. And uh, I was with him for a brief moment yesterday, thanks so that I could just make an announcement about this show today. And he has been a guest on numerous alternative health radio programs. And Ben holds a Bachelor of Arts in Broadcast Journalism from Syracuse University and Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy from University of Colorado and has practiced as a registered pharmacist and consulting nutritionist for 35 years. So there, okay. I couldn't have said it better myself, Grace. <laughs> we have a very strong, powerful guest, so you all better listen. And if you like this, please make sure you share this podcast today, okay? And here's his website. Remember, the truthtreatments.com. And you could check out the blog, pharmacistben.com, but follow the truthtreatments.com. So, Ben, thanks a lot for everything that you do. When I, I I worked for over decades also in in a, in a hospital setting, especially in critical care, and not a lot of nurses will last past five years in critical care. But I felt that I have a role to play as a holistic nurse, so I was combining it. And one of my favorite people to call, especially if they 
are, if they know the listen, are the pharmacists because I trust them more than I would even trust the doctors who would prescribe medications. And then sometimes when there's a good pharmacist, they come together during meetings and it just kind of clears up, guides the doctor. So yes. that's, that's interesting you said. First of all, we get trained in education and in, in communication in the sense that uh, we're tasked with the job of explaining very complex chemistry ideas, biochemistry ideas, medicinal chemistry ideas, and kind of translating them and making them palatable and understandable. So that's kind of the background of a pharmacist. And that's why every year when the Gallup poll takes a poll in the most trusted profession, invariably the most trusted profession is the pharmacist. But oftentimes the second most trusted profession or even sometimes the most trusted profession is the nurse. And I have a love affair with nurses. I always tell people, and I've worked in many hospitals and it's the nurses that run the hospitals, not the doctors. And I always tell people, you know, somebody is the whole Florence Nightingale thing. I always tell people, I don't know if you uh, guys, you international folks know there's a, there's a college entrance exam here in the United States called the SATs. Are you guys familiar with this? It's classic aptitude test. You take it to get into college, to see what kind of college you get into. And the SATs are famous for giving you 200 points just for signing your name. So you get, just for signing your name, you get 200 points on the SAT. And I always tell people, when you're a nurse and you go to heaven, you get 200 points just for being a nurse. <laughs> you go to the head of the line just because you're a nurse, because the work that a nurse does, it's unspeakably kind and compassionate and beautiful. And it's just a wonderful vocation, number one, and it's a wonderful statement about people who enter into that vocation. So thank you. Very much for thank you for saying that about me as a pharmacist, but thank you for what you're doing as a nurse. It's, a, it's really beautiful, beautiful work. Thank you so much. I strongly agree. So that when last year, when there was this a lot of pumping up um, videos showing how much everyone appreciates the nurse, especially coming from the hospital, I said, that's a little too late. I said, suddenly <laughs> you want to say that the nurses are so good or like that. So, but I, so that's when, if you we continue to connect the dots, you know that there's something more than what we see. Yeah. So I, I wanna ask you, since you're a registered pharmacist, nutritionist, and you've really been doing all this holistic work yeah. in helping people. And in general, what do you see happening lately especially when it comes to um people being afraid children yeah. I, I okay so tell us there's, just a, there's a bifurcation that's taking place there's a split that's taking place you know uh, i don't know if you guys know who stephen king is he, he's an author uh, he wrote a book called the stand uh many years ago Did you guys read this and in the stand you read it in the stand there was a bifurcation that took place between dark and light and the, the evil people moved to Las Vegas and the good people moved to Colorado, to Boulder, Colorado, right? And this is where I'm from. And I, I see this happening. There's a, a split that's taking place. People are either uh, buying into wholesale, into the medical model, into the medical paradigm, jumping in uh, both feet into the water, vaccinating and, and quarantining and being terrified and using ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine and, and really just immersing themselves into the into the medical paradigm and into the conventional and orthodox ideas that the medical paradigm is, is presenting. But there's another group, there's a, another bifurcation that's taking place of people uh, who, are very, who are skeptical. 
and cynical and people who maybe a year ago or two years ago or three years ago would not have really paid much attention to the idea that the medical model is not serving us. And now they're waking up. And probably a lot of those folks who weren't awake, who weren't awake to this idea a year ago or two years ago are watching this watching this uh, this video right now. And probably a lot of your, I know a lot of you guys are, have podcasts, probably a lot of your listeners to your podcasts are in that group. And so I see a real split taking place for better or worse. You know, it may be that there's a, a going to be a little bit of a battle that takes place because orthodoxy never wants to die. Nothing wants to die. And if you go listen to the news, you'll hear orthodox and conventional doctors telling you how, how anti-vaxxers are killing people and how they need to be censored and how doctors who are promoting this idea that vaccinations are not a good idea should be lose their licenses. Have you been hearing this lately in the last couple of, almost in the last week, in the last couple of weeks, very, very recently, the government is coming out saying how, and the media as well, how dangerous it is, how these people have to be censored and these people have to be taken off and, and the big tech companies have to take these people off of the social media sites because they're very dangerous. And what we're witnessing is the entrenched orthodoxy really being scared that people are now waking up to the fact that the medical model is a complete and utter failure when it comes to dealing with these kinds of health challenges. For many years, the medical model was deified and lionized because of their uh, great success with dealing with infectious diseases. But now it's starting to become obvious that the medical model is not so excellent when it comes to dealing with lifestyle issues because we have more doc in this country anyway, we have more doctors per capita than any other uh, time in history. But at the same time, we're the most obese, we're the most cancer ridden, we're the most uh, uh, we have the most chronic diseases and autoimmune issues. Our longevity is dropping. Uh, so clearly, if you look at the numbers and you look at what's happening, the medical model is, is failing in terms of taking care of our health. And people are starting to wake up to that. And as a response, there's starting to be some pushback from this orthodox medical model that has made its living for many years and, and uh, found itself in a position of great authority and great respect for many years, they're starting to lose that. And there's a, a real pushback against people like us who are saying, hey, look, people, there's a better way to take care of your health. And it involves being your own, being your own health authority. And that's really what this is about. You know, the word authority comes from the word author. And so when you are not your own authority, somebody else is writing your story for you. And this is what's happening. And it's true in all uh, in a lot of different aspects of authority, government authority, legal authority, political authority, et cetera. But when it comes to health authority, there's nothing more egregious than somebody telling you what you need to do to stay healthy. So to me, this bifurc what we're witnessing now is a, a bifurcation that, uh, that's taking place where the entrenched medical model is now not as powerful as it was at one time because people are starting to wake up the, to the idea that there's, there are things that they need, they can do, and things that they need to do if they truly, truly want to be healthy and live a, a good, long, high quality life. Well, thank you for saying those words because um, I, I want to ask uh, another question before I pass it on to Jane. And this question is still the common concern even from my people in the philippines they're always talking still about the ivermectin hydro hydroxychloroquine and of course they talk about vitamin d vitamin you know, zinc so how do you put them all together when someone would 
um, ask for your assistance of what you think about that. And then, of course, I said, oh, sh shall I take the vaccine or shall I take the poison dart? Yeah. Well, there's, there's three different three different uh, points to your question there. There's the ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine point, there's the vitamin D point, and there's the vaccination point. So let's take these one by one. Hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are drugs. When you take a drug and you put a drug into your body, your body does not know what to do with that drug. And more, even more specifically, the cell doesn't know what to do with that drug. So the, when we talk about the body, sometimes we talk very loosely and glibly about it, but what we really mean is the cell. The cell is the nexus of health and the nexus of disease, and all disease is cell disease, and all health is cellular health. The cell has been around for three and a half billion years. That's a long time. And in that three and a half billion years, the cell has evolved a menu from which it likes to eat. And that menu involves nutrition, what we call the mighty nine essential nutrients, a few other things like glucose and oxygen. But basically, it's the mighty nine essential nutrients, the essential vitamins, essential minerals, essential uh, amino acids and essential fatty acids. And that is a very narrow menu. Anything else that gets into the blood and interacts with the cell that is not on that menu, that menu that has been in place for three and a half billion years, anything else needs to be purified and detoxified as if it were a poison. Okay? This very, very important point. Ivermectin, hydro hydroxychloroquine, and any of the interventions that you need a prescription for are, uh, are classified by virtue by, by this definition of not being on the menu that the cell eats from as poisons. And as a pharmacist, I'm telling you there is no appropriate time to take a poison that's not a complete emergency. Perhaps there are emergencies and pain pills are important and occasionally antibiotics, but even pain pills and antibiotics have a dark side because of their poisonous nature. So as far as hydroxychloroquine goes and ivermectin goes, these are more diversions taking health away from us, taking health away from the individual and placing it in the hands of an authority, an outside authority. And I'm always against that. Anything that removes power from the individual is something that needs to be looked at extremely carefully and something that needs to be treated as potentially dangerous. And this is the idea. We need to take health back into our own hands. So hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin don't make the list. All right, now we're talking about vitamin D3, vitamin D3. Uh, last because I want to get into the vaccine thing. The vaccines are the same idea, except even worse, because when you take a vaccine, a vaccine, by the way, this new intervention is not really a vaccine, even though we call it a vaccine. It's a genetic therapy, a genetic modification. So let's, let's tease that apart first and just talk about vaccinations. The idea of sticking something into your bloodstream directly is anathema to health. It's not and it's never a good idea to stick something right into your bloodstream because the way the system, the, the biological system has evolved, you have a liver that detoxifies anything that gets into the mouth. Usually the only thing that gets into the bloodstream is through the mouth. And so through the digestive system and the system is the body is set up so that once things get into the bloodstream through the intestine, the first place they visit is immigration and immigration and customs is the liver. And so the liver is set up to purify things so they don't get into the, the general system after they make it into the intestine. When you stick something into the blood, you bypass that. You, you immediately have, got, have bypassed the liver's ability to purify, and this is very, very dangerous stuff. All right, that's first of all. Now, sec, uh, to secondly, about this, uh, this latest genetic modification, people need to understand that nomenclature and languaging is very manipulative. There's, no, it's, there's a reason why we use the word grammar 
and uh, and grimoire. A grimoire is a book of magical spells, and grammar is a way of controlling people, uh, controlling uh, reality the way grimoires control reality. And spells are spells when you spell a word, and they're spells when you do magic. And a sentence is something that you command something to do, uh, command on somebody, as well as it is a a phrase in the English language. So you need to be very, very careful, careful with nomenclature. The vaccine is not a vaccine. It is a genetic modification that hacks into a cell's ability to produce proteins. Now, they'll tell you that this is an RNA vaccine, an mRNA vaccine, meaning it doesn't quite get into the DNA. It uh, the way the body works is the DNA is converted into the RNA and the RNA makes proteins. And I don't want to get too off into the weeds too much, but the mRNA isn't exactly in the DNA. And that's supposedly the safety mechanism that prevents the genetics from being permanently affected. However, we know that the it's not a one-way street. Uh, DNA to RNA doesn't just go this way. It goes back to the DNA. And we have no idea of whether there's going to be a permanent effect with this genetic modification. Not only that, but what you've now done with this mRNA vaccine is you've now compelled your cells to produce the antigen. You've now compelled your cells to produce an entity that is going to be an immune stimulant. Who in their right mind thinks that is a good idea? Now, I can understand if lay people and, and, and the public buys into that because they're not experts, but what kind of healthcare professional would dare to think that that is an intelligent idea to compel a cell to produce an antigen for the rest of that cell's life or the rest of that, that, that organism's life. It is idiocy with a capital I. And this is why this talk here is not mainstream. In fact, it very well could be censored. And this is why when I go on YouTube and I talk about the V word, I get censored. And this is why the, the mainstream media and the mainstream power structure doesn't want to hear any of this and doesn't want any of this out. And this is why the consensus, if you turn on the news, you turn on cable, you, you get on the Internet, you get on social media, the consensus is vaccine, 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 get your vaccine. You got to have a vaccine, lottery for a vaccine, million dollars if you get a vaccine, 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 vaccine. The reason is, is because they understand that if the truth ever got out about what's really happening inside your body, when you take this me medical intervention, there will be riots in the street. And so we want to really tease apart the idea, number one, of a, an mRNA genetic modification from an ordinary vaccine. And we also want to understand that it's never a good idea to bypass the liver and stick anything into the blood. And we also want to get across the idea that if you need a medical intervention that takes your health out of your hands and places it in the hands of an authority, you're playing with fire. Then the third question, the third point that you brought up is this idea of vitamin D. And you hear now a lot about vitamin D. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about zinc and you'll hear people talk about vitamin C. And these are all very, very important nutritional supplements. But we want to be careful about practicing something called allopathic nutrition. I, I call it this for that where you say, oh, I have this ailment, I take this nutrient. And this is kind of like a, this is the uh, camel's nose under the tent. This is the first step in a slippery slope where we get the idea that we don't have to take care of our bodies, but we take care of our diseases. And we treat our diseases medicinally, allopathically, as, as uh, I'm sure uh, the naturopath knows, allopathy means 
against disease. We don't want to get this idea that we fight disease and that we have a war against disease. What we want to do is we want to honor the body and let the body do what it needs to do. So yes, vitamin D is critically important, but you don't want to think about, oh, I'm going to take vitamin D. You want to make sure that you're eating correctly. You want to make sure that you're out in the sun. You want to make sure that you're using a balanced nutritional supplement program. Vitamin D works with calcium. Vitamin D works with vitamin A. Vitamin D works with phosphorus. Vitamin D works with vitamin K. All the nutrients work together like all the all the uh, baseball players on a team work together or all the instruments in a symphony work together. And to try to take vitamin D as important as it is in order to treat a disease is like trying to have a baseball team with three catchers because the catcher is very important. So you want to make sure that we are, we want to make sure that we understand the whole holistic nature of how to interact with nutrition and nutritional supplementation and foods as well as exercise and breathing and sunshine and rest and meditation and spirituality and mental and emotional focus and a mental good thoughts and good feelings and working with the entire picture and all of this is is how the body is designed to be healthy which at the end of the day comes from the same root as whole which ha comes from the same root as holy and so that's th that's my take on those three aspects of medication allopathic nutrition and inter, uh, injecting things directly into the blood, whether you call them vaccines or as more appropriately with the latest one, genetic modifications or genetic therapies. Thanks, Ben. Beautifully, beautifully and powerfully expressed just exactly what we and others needed to hear because what you said is not just good or um, relevant to this time, but forever. So yes. thank you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's what we should use this as a wake up call. You know, we can use this event as a way to wake up to the idea that our body is exquisitely designed to handle bacteria, to handle viruses, to handle traumas, to handle whatever life dishes out. We are the descendants of ancestors whose bodies figured out how to handle all of this. And we want to honor the system. We want to deify this system, this holy and divine system. We want to love this system, not the outside authorities and the, the pharma, uh, pharmacal medical interventions that are really, at the end of the day, only about 150 years old. Jane? Ben, you get me so excited that I'm like vibrating. <laughs> I love this conversation so much. So when this all broke out, I started a podcast called Empowered Mind, Empowered Health because I could see people were giving away their choices to something else and looking for a savior outside themselves. And I, I could see this trend happening since I started to study before I started to study. And it's like this, this desire to have this magic bullet and that is simple and easy. And we have gotten away from listening to our inner voice and gaining knowledge so we make choices from an inner knowledge and I just couldn't agree more it just gets me so excited and I'm a homeopath who understands that our mind affects our physical health as much or more than you know than any any supplement we could take the placebo effect I always love that the whole idea of the placebo effect they, right? They filter out the placebo effect when they take drugs. Why are they filtering out the placebo effect? 
They should be working with the placebo effect and filtering out the pharmaceuticals. <laughs> they, they throw out the placebo effect because it'll interfere with the results. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's talk a bit about uh, money because I see it in the attack with homeopathy because homeopathy can't be patented. It's a natural medicine, so it doesn't, it's not going to make anyone trillions of dollars. It'll make people healthy, but it's not going <laughs> to make the powers that be a lot of money. And, you know, you can track back some of these patents uh, to from coronavirus back to 2004, right up to 2018, um, and every part of it. And the, um, the test has been patented. The vaccine has been patented long before any of this broke out. Do you have any knowledge there or comments? Who's that? Who are you asking? Ben, you, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, you're asking. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, virus, viral, uh, as we speak, there are laboratories who are working on viruses. They're trying to figure out how to weaponize viruses. They're figuring out how to enhance and augment viruses for whatever purposes, whatever nefarious purposes. And indeed, there are patents on viral structures. As it turns out, nobody's ever seen this virus. I, you guys probably know that. This virus has never been isolated or identified, it just happened, they, they found some uh, genetic pieces and they stuck it into the computer and they saw that the genetic pieces were similar to a, a coronavirus. So they just named this a coronavirus. And, and, and also, you know, it's really interesting. Viruses are, um, I would say as, a, as a, a chemist, they're the most fascinating entities on the planet, a virus. And, and we really, most people, not certainly not on this panel, but when most lay people think of viruses, they just think of bad guys. But as it turns out, viruses are not bad guys. Viruses are important for evolution and viruses make the system evolve and grow and get better. And not only that, but our environment is saturated with viruses. There are more viruses in a gram of our stool than there are stars in the Milky Way. There's viruses in every gram of water in the ocean is packed with viruses. Every millimeter of air is packed with viruses. Viruses are everywhere. And a virus is nothing more than a little piece of, of genetic information, just genes that are wrapped, with, are wrapped around in a capsule. And they don't even do anything until they interact with some kind of cell. So we have to get this idea out of our heads that viruses are somehow bad guys. Now, it turns out, of course, that the job of a virus, the role of a virus is to replicate and that's why you have viruses in your computer that, that get into the computer and they just replicate. They don't care about your computer. We have mind viruses. That's really the biggest problem or viruses, viral ideas, uh, memes, if you will. People call it, people know what a meme is today. But when I, I started talking about memes 20, 25 years ago when I read a book called Viruses of the Mind by Richard Brody, perhaps you guys have heard of this, where he talks about implantation of ideas by marketers and by advertisers to get people to buy things and get people to remember things. And if you ever drove by the golden arches and couldn't resist going through the golden arches and getting uh, getting a hamburger, even if you weren't hungry, you rest assured you were infected by a virus of the mind. Viruses, organic viruses or biological viruses are the same way. They interact with our genes and their job is to somehow get, the get our, our cells and our genetic material to make more viruses. So viruses are not necessarily bad. There are certainly some bad viruses. What we're experiencing today, though, is laboratories experimenting with these viruses. And as you alluded to, Jane, patenting these viruses for whatever reason. I don't know why they would need to patent a virus, but they're patenting these viruses and then using these viruses for basically uh, mostly for, for weaponry, 
for biological weaponry. That's really the purpose of augmenting these viruses. And this particular latest virus, the thinking is, some people are saying anyway, I don't know if it's true, that it escaped from some kind of enhancement or, or augmentation laboratory where uh, the ordinary coronavirus was manipulated to be super infectious and super uh, uh, super deleterious to the human biological system. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but your point is well taken. These things are patented, they're created in laboratories, and they're designed for whatever purposes uh, to, to make the world a certain way uh, in the case of uh, using them as weaponry and uh, for uh, defense or offensive purposes. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. And it, vaccines are also very lucrative, which we have to be aware of. That's, it. You know? That's a very good point is we have to understand that there's a, like you said, a financial incentive to making sure everybody gets vaccinated. I mean, think about, think about first of all, drugs in general and vaccines are very cheap to make like ridiculously cheap to make pennies. And if you talk about billions of doses of vaccinations that cost pennies to make, but cost hundreds or, or, or tens of dollars to dose, think about how much money we're talking about. We're talking about trillions of dollars and you're talking about it every year that you want these booster shots every year. They already have a booster shot now, a third vaccine they're talking about. And they all have variants out there. So certainly there's a financial incentive. And you know the way I look at it, as a human being, just not even as a pharmacist, but as a human being, could there be an ulterior motive, do you think, to have people being vaccinated? Do you think there's a financial incentive for all of this that's behind this? Forget the control idea. How about the financial incentive? Do we really want to participate that way? In, in a, I'm a capitalist myself, but do we really want to participate in terms of a capitalist intervention in our personal health and well-being? This is something people have to really be very suspicious of and very be very skeptical of. Heck, if you see a commercial on TV, isn't a little part of you thinking, well, maybe they're just trying to sell me something. You know, if you see a, a read a, an advertisement on the Internet or in the magazine, isn't a part of you thinking, well, maybe they're trying to sell me something. Why are we not assuming that as, as you know, present company excluded, but as a, as a general public, why are we not examining that? A potential ulterior motive when it comes to vaccinations, as well as when it comes to prescription drug interventions. Yeah. And I don't think people are aware of, you know, the fact that there's no downside for the vaccine companies. Like they aren't, they're not liable for any harm. Brilliant point. That's a, why is that? Why did they uh, absolve or uh, indemnify the drug companies from, from suit with this vaccine, which by the way, has still yet to be approved. It's all being used as an uh, under emergency measures. So what is the purpose of indemnifying the vaccine, vaccine companies? Why is that necessary? I mean, it really is hidden in plain sight. If you just dive a little bit underneath the surface, it, just one inch under the surface, you can see there's so many flaws in this logic and, and there's so many uh, flies in the ointment in terms of how we're uh, attempting to address what may or may not be a serious uh, viral infection. because. Personally, I haven't really seen. Think about how much. Would you know that there was a, a health crisis if you didn't watch the news? Would you know that there was a health crisis if you weren't reading social media? This is all mediated to us. In real life, how many of us have really seen a lot of people suffering in misery to the extent that we hear about it on the news? Any of you guys? I haven't seen it a lot. I, none of my friends have seen it a lot. I, I hear about it a lot. So, I'm, you know, uh, I can see that there's a potential issue with this thing even existing. 
Yeah. Well, the power of programming uh, needs to be discussed too, right? Like you're, you're getting to, and we have been programmed for the last 100 years to give our power away, just to absolutely look and for I'll, a savior outside ourselves. And right. when yeah. you watch TV, you watch a TV program, right? Yeah. They call them television programs. Again, hidden in plain sight. It's right there. You know, you're watching a TV program because you're being programmed and you're being conditioned and unfortunately, it starts at a very early age. It starts in child. It starts. It probably starts in utero. If you talk about the interactions that the fetus has with cortisol and stress chemicals from the mother, it probably starts in. And not to mention food toxins and environmental toxins. It, it probably starts in utero. Certainly, by the time the baby is uh, is young enough to go to preschool at the age of two, the conditioning begins. Yeah. And I, I love your encouragement to go inside. I mean, whenever I've been bombarded or forced into something, I've said no, gone backwards, listened to my own heart and found every bit of information dug down below the surface to see what really feels good love for it. me. So that's love what you're it. encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Meditation, for example, just to bring one thing up. I've had a meditation practice for 30 years. That is the ultimate medication. Is the and, and meditation is not what people think it is. It's simply like you say, it's going inside and seeing the dynamics of how we process information. Most people just process information without understanding the processing dynamics or the processing mechanisms that are responsible for how we perceive and how we think and how we absorb data. We just absorb data the way a fish uh, 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 eats food when it's in the ocean with our mouths open and the data just comes in. What meditation does is it allows you to, like you say, go inside to see how is that data being processed and being turned into a belief or being turned into a thought or being turned into a perception. And that to me is the ultimate medication. If you believe that information is a kind of food that is metabolized and, and, uh, and first it's digested and metabolized and, uh, and then assimilated into the body, meditation is a way of examining how that, pro how that information is uh, is digested and metabolized and assimilated into the body. And there's nothing more important than that if you want to have a powerful, effective life. Right. And to, like in meditation or just to become aware of your own thoughts yes. and find yourself saying, wait, where did this come from? Yes. Is it mine? Is yes. it my direction? Right. Yes. So powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. That is so powerful. You talked about the placebo effect earlier. We know that our mind controls our body. This is no longer airy-fairy. This is a, a powerful, well-researched uh, well and, and uh, well-studied idea that our mind, every thought we think creates a hormone, and via that hormone, our body is shaped. This is no longer airy-fairy, hippy-dippy talk. This is a powerful way to control how our body shows up. And in fact, a case could be made that if we're sick or we're not as healthy as we want to be, First, we're sick mentally, and then we're sick physically. Even, even in bacterial infections, you know, and viral infections, why is the immune system, somebody, one has to ask, why is the immune system, if we do get sick, why is the immune system not dealing with that as it should? And more often than not, you're going to find that there's a spike in cortisol. The immune system is suppressed secondary to your credit card bills or what you're seeing on the news or uh, your relationships or your job or some other thing that's going on in your life. That's where we want to control. That's our locus of control, even for something that seems like it's outside our bodies, like a viral infection or bacterial infection, just changing the way you thought or just think and just changing the way you feel can modify your hormones 
so that you can have a healthy interaction with something that seems like it's a bad guy or seems like it's a nefarious actor. Exactly. And so the way we react to this is going to, there's going to be a whole cascade that affects our body. Um, a quick story, and I love telling this to my patients, um, and this is how powerful the unconscious mind is. Imagine you grew up beside a school and you ate every time a bell rang at the school. So 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., 6 p.m. And this went on for a couple of years, especially when you were young and your automatic or your unconscious mind was developing. But imagine you moved to close to a train station when you're an adult and the bell was going off every 10 minutes. And the same reaction was happening in your body. There was the juices and the hormones and everything was happening that happened when you ate, but it was, you know, before it was every three hours, now it's every 10 minutes. And so you're getting this like Pavlovian bell. You have no idea that it's setting off this cascade. And what happens is you either develop an eating disorder or a peptic ulcer. <laughs> So it's just like the programming is everywhere and everywhere. It, yeah, so it's, it's very powerful. Well, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So all of this needs to be regarded as exercise, spiritual exercise, mental exercise and emotional exercise. And it's very easy for folks like us and probably people listening to get freaked out, you know, but we don't want, that's not the appropriate place to go. This is just an opportunity for us to learn to open up our third eye. This is an opportunity for us to wake up to our spiritual natures. This is an opportunity for us to see the invisible world that is behind the visible world. So I always want to take as, as seemingly as disastrous as this may seem to be and as horrifying as it seems on the surface, I think it's really important that folks like us really promote the idea that this is an opportunity to build our spiritual muscles to build our intuitional muscles, to open up our heart and open up our third eye so we can really see what's going on. And in a way, this is pro-evolution. This is a very pro-evolutionary phenomena. And while the, those of us on the panel and people who are listening may not be here to witness the fruition of this evolutionary process, we can help push it along by promoting the idea that we can be strong and powerful in the face of whatever shows up. And on top of that, you don't get to be a great sea captain by sailing on calm seas. And this is what we're here to do, is we're here to be great. We're here to be extraordinary. And this is an opportunity, an opportunity for us to manifest our greatness and to manifest our extraordinariness. And that's personally the way I'm looking at it, and that's personally the way I want to uh, teach people and open up people to look at this seemingly horrific situation that we're going through. Yeah, I absolutely love it. In fact, our team was talking about that on Tuesday because we're so aware that the stress does affect us. And we decided that we're going to level up in vibration. And yeah. like you say, just become better because of it. Yes, exactly. And it's interesting how you said that. Those of us who are awake to what's going on, we're subject to more stress in a way. It, I find myself getting angry when I see that little weasel doctor on TV, who a name I don't even want to mention. When I, I, I find my blood boiling, I have to stop and I have to say, what is it, what's going on here that I am getting upset? What is it here that's causing my adrenaline and my cortisol to go up and my blood pressure to rise? And so it compels me to work on myself. 
and to work on how I see the world. And this is, that's the way we have to look at this. Everything in life is an opportunity, an opportunity to be awesome. Everything that shows up in our life is an opportunity for us to be great. And that's how, I think that's the most productive way to look at, to look at everything in life, but especially what's going on in the world today. Beautiful, Ben. Thank you so much. I'm, I, would, I, I would just love to talk the whole time, but I'm going to pass you to John. <laughs> Thank you, hon. Hi, Ben. How, how are you? Thank you. Good to see you. Uh, first and foremost, um, I am a fan of yours. Uh, every time you go, go on the coast to coast, I always stay on. I, I already told you that. <laughs> Sometimes it makes for late nights. Thank but you. it's always like you always like open up different light bulbs for me. Like, cause I am a personal trainer and I have been in the supplement world for the past 30 years. Cause you know, personal training, my own personal stuff. I've always been interested in different types of supplements and this and that to, you know, become better. Um, I did want to ask you about a specific supplement. Uh, it's, well, it's not a supplement. It's actually something that actually lives at the end of the cells, which is called the telomere. So I want to I, I want to ask you how and recent studies have shown that the longer the telomere is, the healthier your body is and the quote unquote younger. I don't want to use that word, but younger you will actually feel. Right. So I want to ask you um, with your own personal experience, have you exper experimented at all with any form of telomere extensions? Yeah. That's a great question. So just for the listeners, a telomere is a fuse. You can think of a telomere as a fuse. And as cells uh, age and as cells uh, do their business, that fuse kind of gets shorter and shorter until it gets so short, uh, it just explodes. It's like a, a fuse in dynamite. So the longer the telomere, the healthier and longer the cell. And that's kind of what you're alluding to, telomere elongation uh, and keeping the telomere long. There's various components inside a cell like the telomere for example, there's also the mitochondria. The mitochondria are the part of the cell that is, uh, produces the energy in response to oxygen. And there's various components inside the cell that are linked and correlated to the health of the cell. And as we all know, uh, the health of the body, as goes the health of the cell, so goes the health of the body. So there's a lot of focus on cellular chemistry and cellular enhancement and cellular facilitation. I don't take that approach. I take the approach that you want to control the environment that the cell is in. And it is the environment that the cell is in that controls the health of the cell. To directly go to the health of the cell is like imposing your will on the intelligence of the cell. The way the system is designed is cells sit in a soup. All of our cells, we had 100 trillion cells, and that's a that's an amazing concept right there that you have 100 trillion of these invisible entities that are so tiny that a hundred of them would fit on the head of a pin, yet within that tiny little blob, and a cell is a blob, you know, when from high school biology, the cell looks like a circle with stuff inside it. It's not a circle, it's a blob, and it's a, a blob of jelly. And that blob of jelly is invisible to the naked eye, but within that blob of jelly, you have millions of working parts. You have more working parts in this little invisible blob of jelly than you do in a 747 airplane. And within this little invisible blob, you have six feet of DNA. How the heck does that happen? So much DNA in a cell that if you took all the DNA in your body, it would go to Saturn and back six times. So this little tiny blob 
that has been around for three and a half billion years has is perfectly intelligent. And its intelligence is manifested by a responsiveness to its environment. And the environment that the cell uh, that, that, that it's responsive to is a soup that the cell is in. So these hundred trillion cells are immersed in a liquid. And the way the system is designed, the cell reads the liquid that it is sitting in. It reads the soup, the broth that it is immersed in to determine what it has to do. And this cell is determining what it has to do, uh, as, is reading the environment and determining what it has to do via this coating on the outside of the blob. Can you picture the, the immensity, the vastness, the complexity of this system? On top of this little blob, you have a slender layer that is a thousand times thinner than the cell itself. And this slender layer is an information processor. It's a liquid crystal semiconductor, like the most high-tech computer chip you can imagine. And it's specifically designed to process the soup, to read what's in the soup. And when that soup has enough nutrients, when that soup has enough oxygen, when that soup is, a, is clean and there's no, no toxins, especially sugar, sitting around in that soup, the cell will do everything it needs to do to our heart's content. It will produce collagen. It will make moisture factors if it's a skin cell. It will make uh, immune, it will uh, stimulate immune activities if it's an immune cell. It will do everything it needs to do depending on the soup. And so what we want to do is we want to ride the wave of chemistry that the cell has evolved with. Instead of going to the telomere and doing some kind of telomere enhancement, instead of going to the mitochondria and somehow facilitating mitochondrial activity, just work on the soup. And how do you work on the soup? You eat correctly, you breathe correctly, and you keep the environment clean. It's as simple as that. And if all disease is cell disease, there's only three things that cause cell disease. And that is lack of nutrition, malnourishment, lack of oxygen, hypoxia, and toxicity. And that's it. We don't have to worry about the telomere. We don't have to worry about the lysosome. We don't have to worry about the genetic material. All we got to do is eat correctly, breathe correctly, and keep the system clean by avoiding toxicity. Now, I didn't, answer, I didn't mention the mental and emotional and even spiritual aspects, and those also have to be employed or leveraged. And I always say health is multidimensional, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. But from a physical perspective, it's as simple as uh, making sure you're getting enough food and nutrients, making sure you're getting enough oxygen and keeping the system clean. Tox uh, the only thing, three things that can go wrong with a cell and all diseases, cell disease, starvation, suffocation, and toxification. And when that happens, a cell dies and the body protects itself from that cellular death with something called inflammation. That's what inflammation is, is the body's protective response from cellular death. And that inflammation leads to more toxicity, more malnourishment, more hypoxia or lack of oxygen, because now you've got a wall around that cell, which leads to more cell death, which leads to more inflammation, which leads to more toxicity and malnourishment and hypoxia. And this is the downward spiral of disease that we're all that we all go uh, that we're all going through. And this is what accounts for our chronic degenerative disease crisis. And this is what accounts for our decreased longevity, or at least our slow, our, our, our uh, decelerating 
uh, longevity, starvation, suffocation, toxification, leading to inflammation, leading to more starvation, suffocation, toxification, to more inflammation, et cetera, et cetera. So all we really have to do if we want to break that cycle is make sure we're eating correctly and supplementing, make sure we're breathing correctly, which most people don't know how to do. And cortisol will in interfere with that as well. And keeping the system clean, primarily with the most important toxin and the most powerful toxin that we all interfere with, uh, interact with on a regular basis, which is sugar. And so by keeping the system clean from all of these, uh, keeping the system clean from all toxicity, making sure you're nutriating correctly and making sure you're oxygenating the system correctly, you don't have to worry about anything else. And I love telomeres and I love mitochondria and I love cellular uh, organelles and I love cellular chemistry and biochemistry, but we don't need to know that. You can just, if you just eat correctly, and one of the simplest ways, by the way, to eat correctly is to eat less. Your stomach is this big, right? How many, how, how, uh, how many of us eat this much at a meal, the size of a fist, you know? So just eating less is a powerful uh, longevity strategy. Every time you eat food, your body has to process that food as if it were a toxin. So just simply eating less is a, a powerful nutritional strategy. Get a breathing app. You, you know, those breathing app, apps they have, Breathe Zone or Breathe. Just breathe for five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, and stay as far as you weigh, uh, far away as you can from toxicity, especially sugar. And you can throw into the list of toxicity that we interact with on a regular basis, voluntarily, prescription drugs. Uh, speaking of which, we're going to just circle back to that one. With what's been going on over the since January uh, with this whole vaccination thing, and uh, just, just trying to tie it in with everything that you just said with keeping the environment um, clean and untoxic. Do you think that this is a very toxic way for people to live? And my, I'm just going to throw in a second question. We also, you also talked with Jane about the mental aspect. What if, what if the person jabbing themselves believes deeply that they are protecting themselves? Do you think that that yeah. can actually help? Yes. Yes, I do. Absolutely, I do. If people really, really believe that they're protecting themselves, without a doubt, they will, that will afford them a certain degree of protection. Now, the amount of protection that they'll get, I can't say to that. I can't speak to that. But yes, indeed. You can, I believe you can detoxify mentally by your belief system. There are yogis who lay on, uh, on a, bed, a bed of nails. There are people who walk on fire. And interacting with toxicity uh, is something that we all are confronted with inevitably just by being alive on planet Earth in this on this toxic planet in the year 2021. And I do believe there's a lot of things that you could do mentally to boost your immune system, to support your liver's ability to detoxify and to protect yourself from medication, from jabs, from toxicity. I 100% believe that the, to the degree I couldn't tell you. But yes, in theory and in principle, I think you can do that. I didn't quite understand your first question. Uh, the You're first the, the first question was because we're because it's this is a like you said in the beginning this is a, a, a foreign uh, a, a foreign medication right that we're putting into our system the cell that you were talking about lives in, in the environment of soup and it will treat that whatever is in that needle as a toxin yeah so now we're toxifying the actual soup yeah so I guess the question, I guess the question would be, you know, how, to, like, based off of the mental aspect of it, can you clean, can you clean it or will, do you, because of 
because of them thinking that they can actually like support support themselves. It's True. a lot tougher with this new gen with with this this newfangled uh, medical intervention. I don't want to call it a vaccine or, or even a drug because it's not really a drug. It's a genetic material that's being put into the body. And by the way, not only is a genetic material being put into the body as bad as that is, but that genetic material is coated with a chemical cocktail that's created industrially. Some of these chemicals are so nasty. I don't even use them in my skincare products and we're injecting them inside directly inside the body. So it's not just the genetic material, the mRNA is getting into the system. It's also the coating, which is made up of, of a, a complex chemical concoction of fats and something called polyethylene glycols. They're designed to, to uh, protect the virus, uh, protect the mRNA from degradation. So can your body process that stuff? Theoretically, yes, because the liver is so exquisitely uh, uh, evolved to be able to handle different shapes, different, uh, different chemical shapes. But this stuff is pretty new for the liver. And, you know, I can't speak to whether or not or how well the body can protect itself from that. And by the way, the newest virus, I think it's the AstraZeneca or vaccine, so-called vaccine, the Astra AstraZeneca product is actually a virus that is used to introduce the viral particle. So they take a virus and they actually load that virus with the genetic material and then the virus itself is a vector. So you're actually introducing a virus to introduce the vector. And this is the, the newest vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine. Whether the body can handle all that stuff, guess what? It's an experiment. This is an experiment on humanity, nothing less than that. And we all have to understand that. And when people ask me if I'm taking the vaccine, I always say, you know what? I'm in the control group and that's how we want to look at it. You know, I'm, I'm going to see what happens. I, you can, you can test yourself if you like to do it. And to answer your question, I don't know the answer to it because it's an experiment. And I guess we'll, we'll know in 20 or 30 years when the results of the experiment come in. Awesome. I have a ton of questions, but I won't ask them because, uh, because the time I will pass you on to Hartman. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Yes, uh, Ben, I really appreciate this conversation. And as I told you, I already work with physical therapy stations in order to increase the millivolts of the cells because the cancer cells, for example, they have 20 microvolts, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and the problem is if the electricity of the cells is so, so low, then uh, the exchange between the poisoning and the nutrition doesn't work any, in the right way. And um, I want to talk about the nutritions and uh, especially about the stress, how this stress degrees uh, the, electri the, um, the function of the cells. Yes. And um, this is also possible, for example, by parasites. And I saw in your website that you have, for example, oregano oil. Yes. And uh, the oregano oil has a very huge effect also on the cells. And can you play, talk a little bit about that? Because yes. I think it's very important here so yeah, that the people it, understand it, the importance of this oil. Yes. And all plants in general, plants are so amazing. Plants produce substances that are uniquely designed to help cells deal with life. This is so beautiful. Plants produce, how this happens, nobody knows, but 
from a spiritual perspective, plants are uh, the interface between the sun and the earth. And it's interesting because plants are green and green is the color of the heart chakra. Green is the center of the body. And green is also the color of money. Green is the color of energy. Plants have this unique role of supporting uh, animal life. That's what a plant does is it supports animal life. And that's its role is to support animal life. And it does this by trapping the sun. And it turns sunlight, the way it, work, the way it works is a plant will turn sunlight into magical molecules that we call phytonutrients, among other things. It turns them into other, other substances. And these phytonutrients do not go inside a cell for the most part. Some of them do, but for the most part, they don't. They protect the outside of a cell and they help the cell adapt to the environment. We call these adaptogens. You probably heard the term adaptogens and these are adaptogenic substances. And this is so beautiful that the plant world has evolved to help the animal world. And the plant world has evolved to help the animal world deal with stresses. It, help, it help, has evolved to help the animal world in many ways, but one of the ways is to help the animal world and animal cells deal with stresses. Some plants are incredibly powerful as adaptogens, and these are the medicinal plants that have the really strong smell, things like rosemary and thyme and sage. And of these medicinal types of plants, oregano is arguably the king. And oregano oil is incredibly valuable as an adaptogenic substance, particularly for fighting microbes and for dealing, helping uh, cells deal with viruses. So you can use oregano oil for things like cold sores and uh, the uh, latest viral infection that's that's in that's in the news, even for dealing with things like skin cancer, topically for dealing with things like skin cancer. So I'm a big believer in oregano oil, but not not just oregano oil, all plants and all plant chemistry in the sense that plants have this ability, this unique ability to help the body deal with illness and deal with diseases and deal with stresses in a, an adaptogenic fashion. Oregano oil is awesome, but so is aloe, so is turmeric, so is rosemary, and so is sage. There's so many of them. In fact, many of our prescription drugs are knockoffs or derivatives of things that are found in the plant world. We look at the plant world. To this day, one of the, one of the, the greatest resources for drug companies to go to find molecules to make prescription drugs is the rainforest, where there's you know countless varieties and species of, of, of plant life. And all of them, all of them have medicinal compounds that can be used either as is, or if you're a drug company, can be tweaked and modified and patented to make a prescription drug. Wow. And, um, and another thing concerning, um, also, I want to also talk about the vaccination. Um, the problem is, for example, if someone has a virus, let's say we had the flu, Uh, one, two years ago, all we had a flu. Now we do have all Corona. Um, the inter if someone has a flu and someone, uh, if, uh, someone transferred this flu to someone else, then the flu mutates all the time because it wants to survive. And, um, and, uh, by taking medicines or drug, we try to eliminate it, but it's, it finds a way to survive. And then it, and then it's, uh, it's a mutation. And, and the, the immune system, because the, the mutations are quite low from one step to the other, the immune, the, the immune system of our bodies can adapt to these mutations very well. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and now we have 
the situation that we have that we here are dealing with a genetic therapy which deals with an artificial virus and here's the question what will happen with the mutations do you think that these kind of mutations which will be spread also by people who got uh, an, uh, a shot for example this this will be in um, a small step in mutation so that the so that the other uh, immune system of the other person can adapt itself quite easily or is it a mutation with warp speed so that this that you that the immune system will be let's say overwhelmed by this kind of virus i suspect the former that the mutations will be slow enough that the that the immune system can modify it but look this is life we live in a world we live in a dog eat dog world where everything is designed to survive and everything is every, everything is designed to survive and everything is designed to fight the other things that are designed to survive. And it's this kind of warfare that occurs. And this makes the species better. This makes us more resilient. I mean, we talk about the immune system so much. And as you know, I, we're talk, I was talking to Jane how this is kind of a good thing in the sense what's going on in the world today is a good thing in the sense that it's waking us up. Uh, one of the things it's waking us up to is the immune system. You know, 10 years ago, five years ago, even two years ago, people didn't, we didn't talk about the immune system the way we're talking about it today. Today, it's on everybody's lips and everybody knows about the immune system. This immune system that, that we so glibly and blithely discuss is the most magnificent biochemical process or system that exists in all of life. It is finely attuned to be able to adjust to modifications in the shapes of these invaders, whether they're viral invaders or bacterial invaders. To the, to the, so that it actually produces heat-seeking missiles that are specifically designed for bacteria and viruses and microbes that have changed shape. So if you have a bacteria or microbe or a virus that looks like this, and you have a heat-seeking missile, which is called an antibody, by the way, that attacks this, and then all of a sudden the, the virus or the microbe has three fingers, it looks like this, the antibodies will adjust and now it will attack this one. And if it produced, it, uh, the, the enemy has four fingers, it, produced, it looks like this, you'll make antibodies, you'll make heat-seeking missiles for that, and it keeps happening. And not only that, this is the most amazing thing. As I'm thinking about it, I just get blown away. It will remember. So 10 years down the road, if it interacts with this, this enemy, it will remember it's how this happens. Please, come on. This is amazing. You know, we have to not, not lose sight of the amazingness here. It will remember, it will recall in its library somewhere to, uh, how it made this heat-seeking missiles for this shape. And this is what we want to be honoring and respecting. How does this immune system work? It works like all cells. Immune system, uh, the immune system makes these heat-seeking missiles from cells. So when we talk about nourishing a cell, we talk about oxygenating a cell, we talk about detoxifying a cell. We want to do that with our white blood cells and our immune cells as much as we want to do with any other cell. And that should be our focus. That should be our target when it comes to figuring out how to handle mutations, how to handle vaccinations, how to handle viruses and microbial attacks. Focus on the cell and focus on the environment that the cell is sitting in. Let the immune system do its work. How this happens, nobody knows. Honor it, deify it, worship it, be in awe of it, respect it and give it the raw materials it needs to do its work. If For us to sit and talk about it, I love talking about it and I love studying it, but it's not necessary to know any of that stuff. Okay. And um, what do you think about this um, 
let's say about the pattern for example if something has changed do you think it's possible that um, the uh, the shard will change our dna in that way that it get patent or do you think it can be restructured back again to its original uh situation what do you think an experiment nobody knows you know nobody knows clearly you're bombarding the body with genetic material you know when when you yeah. take a shot there are billions of genetic particles that are now flooding your body and now they want you to have a, mm -hmm. another shot and they want you to have a booster shot And they want you to have it every year. And every time you inject yourself, you are flooding your body with billions, with a B, billions of genetic particles. Only God knows what kind of effect that's going to have on your genes. It's, it seems inevitable to me. I can't say definitively, but it seems inevitable to me that something is going to get into the DNA. And we know that, it, like I was saying earlier, it goes backwards. It doesn't just go from DNA to RNA. It goes from RNA back to DNA. So, of course, it's possible. And that we're even thinking about doing this in a mass inoculation way on the general public, it's beyond belief to anybody who understands the mechanism of these things. And like I said earlier, whether the layperson, you know, we're all responsible and we should all be understanding this, but the layperson can be forgiven. But the healthcare professional who understands this, the, the researchers who understand what's happening, it's evil. It's nefarious. It's, it's an awful thing. I don't know how they can live with themselves except for to say maybe they think that they're doing good. You know, ultimately what's happening is, is we're playing God. And in the Bible, there's this great story. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Bible. There's a great story of the Tower of Babel, right, where man decides he is going to, he's going to become like God. He's going to take a tower and he's going to build it up to God. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're trying to play God. We're trying to pretend like we know better than this divinely structured and divinely organized system that we call the human body and the cell. And the way I look at it, that cannot come to, that cannot end in a good way. I understand, brilliant. No, thank you so much. It was thank a pleasure you. talking to you, Ben. Thank uh, you, Mark. I appreciate and, uh, it. I appreciate it really. And uh, Steve, please go on. All right, awesome conversation. So, I looked at your website. I love everything about you. I'm, thank you. I'm a freak for vitamin C, enzymes, amino thank acids, you. and clean, cleaning the pond. I call it. That's my right term. on, right on. Uh, cleaning the pond. I like that. Yeah, like that. So I'm helping my brother with prostate cancer. I helped my mother with autoimmune disease, and I've helped other friends with uh, cancer and stuff. And I, I think really what the world needs is knowledge, and I think that's what's with health. And the, I think the sword where the light is knowledge and everyone's in the dark. And so I like talking about it and shedding what I've learned and has helped me. I've been, you know, I'm a normal guy, I have a normal job, but I've been studying holistic healing for over 20 years. And um, I mean, there's simple distinctions that you've said that are just, it's, a, it's awesome because this is the way I see it. But the, the people don't know there's a, there's a history of deception and misinformation And, you know, it's as simple as make sure you ask your doctor, you know, right. you know, don't, you know, and we're all even on, you know, a video on YouTube, you have to, you have to give a disclaimer, right? right? You know, right. your doctor knows better than you. It's forcing you right. down the tunnel of don't right. look over there. And that's, we know that's all by, all by design. But since I'm a, a vitamin C freak, Me too. Um, 
you know, most people don't realize, I think us and guinea pigs are the only mammals that don't produce it. Right. Um, uh, or let's just focus on humans. Humans do not produce vitamin C. Hence, without vitamin C, your body falls apart very quickly. Um, and it's a key to your immune system. I think the macrophages actually have vitamin C in it. It's, a, right. it's one of the most powerful antioxidants on the planet. Um, and I actually almost died from ARDS, from a, a sepsis of uh, acute gangrenous peritonitis. And I remember I was flatlining. I was, had swan tubes in. I was in, on the respirator. And, you know, they're trying every antibiotic. And, you know, apparently all I would have needed was uh, intravenous vitamin C and I would have been fine. So, but the, the issue is you can't get it. But what I'm trying to say is that um, there's the, like we were talking about poisons and the pharmaceutical industry is really just one level of poison versus another. I mean, they're just basically saying, which poison should we give you and how much of it? And it, it, it you know, it toxifies the pond, right? The, we're 80% right. water. So think of yourself as a pond. Right. And if the, if, if the pond is toxic, um, you know, you don't have your immune system and, you know, you're breeding disease and you got to clean the pond. But um, going back to Dr. Dr. Frederick Klenner in the, in the late 40s, um, you know, using intravenous vitamin C, he reversed polio. Kids who had par paralysis, full-blown polio, he, 60 out of 60 cases before he was shut down, he reversed with intravenous vitamin C. So in, in your work, do, do, is intravenous vitamin C available at all? Oh, yeah. Intravenous vitamin C is, is available, but it's not respected as it needs to be respected. Um, and intravenous nutrition is really, really powerful st health strategy. In fact, if you have unlimited funds, if you're you know, a movie star or a, a billionaire or, or a, even a politician, you're getting IV nutrition if you have un, unlimited funds because un, unfortunately it's expensive. And anybody who's dealing with cancer, that's one of the best things you could do for dealing with cancer. I as well, Steve, am a lover of vitamin C. In fact, I don't even consider vitamin C to be a vitamin. There's the vitamins and then vitamin C is like, is like the next level given its multifunctionality in, uh, relative to its benign nature. To have something that is that multifunctional and powerful and that benign at the same time is mind blowing from a biochemical uh, perspective. And as you say, most animals with the exception of guinea pigs and there's a couple of primates and the fruit bat and, and human beings don't make vitamin C. And animals not only make vitamin C, but they make vitamin C when they're under duress. So that if a, a billy goat will make a gram of vitamin C, uh, when it's under duress, it will make 10 grams of vitamin C because vitamin C is a duress vitamin, it's a stress vitamin. The adrenal glands contain more vitamin C than any other part of the body. The disease, uh, the name of vitamin C, uh, the term, the technical name for vitamin C is ascorbic acid. And ascorbic acid means without scurvy. Ascorbic meaning without scurvy, ascorbic. Now, scurvy, if you ask most people and most physicians, they'll tell you, oh, scurvy, we don't have scurvy anymore. They used to have scurvy and now we don't have scurvy anymore. Scurvy is one of the most horrible diseases that ever that there ever was. Scurvy, which is vitamin C deficiency disease, is when your body just falls apart. It, you dissolve into a puddle, essentially. Your teeth fall out of your gums and your blood vessels explode. You hemorrhage to death. Your bones start to break. You get all kinds of bruising on your skin. But here's the thing. Many of the signs of scurvy are equal to the signs of aging. And the vascular deterioration and the osteoporosis and the bruising and the thinning of the skin and the decreased immunity and the osteoporosis and all of the things that we hate about aging are really set the signs of vitamin C deficiency. 
They're subclinical scurvy. So it may very well be that not only is vitamin C important for the immune system and not only is vitamin C important for the skin, and I, I use a lot of vitamin C in my skincare products. In fact, that's my, my hero ingredient. But it may be that vitamin C is the primary anti-aging vitamin and it may be that aging itself is nothing more than the manifestation of vitamin C deficiency. And this is compounded by the fact that we uh, determine how much vitamin C we need, like all nutrients, by something called the RDA, which as most of you know, in, in this country anyway, you probably have a version in Europe and in Canada, but in this country, in the United States, the RDA, as most people will tell you, stands for the recommended daily allowance. But I call the RDA the ridiculous deficiency allowance <laughs> because it keeps you ridiculously deprived from optimal health. And while all you may need is 100 milligrams of vitamin C to keep yourself from dying of scurvy, you need way more vitamin C to be optimally healthy. And these RDAs that are set up by, by, uh, by drug companies, essentially, and by the government, and by the way, it's way worse in Canada. It's horrific in Canada and in Europe for that matter. Uh, these uh, recommended daily allowances are keeping us from being optimally and maximally healthy. And so while 100 milligrams of vitamin C is the recommended daily allowance, you need grams of this stuff. And as far as sticking it in your blood, you can put 50 grams of vitamin C right into your bloodstream. Could you imagine doing that with a prescription drug, putting 50 grams of a, a prescription drug right in your bloodstream? I always tell people, you know, in, in the world of pharmacology, in the world of medicinal chemistry and pharmaceuticals, there's something called a therapeutic ratio. And the therapeutic ratio is the comparison of how therapeutic a drug is compared to how toxic it is. And the, the dream drug of, uh, of a pharmaceutical company, something that has a high therapeutic value and very low toxicity, right? Well, we already have those. They're called vitamins and they're called minerals and they're called accessory nutrients. I tell people that when prednisone goes to bed at night, it dreams it was vitamin C because <laughs> it's, the perfect, it's the perfect medicine. It's the perfect drug. It's the yeah. ideal way to treat your body. And on top of that, nobody has a prednisone deficiency. Nobody has a Ritalin deficiency. Nobody has a Prozac deficiency. But the entire planet, unless they're listening to this program and listening to people like myself, have, has a vitamin C deficiency or, 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 or sub-dosed or have sub-optimal levels of vitamin C, which is compounded by the fact that we're going, when we decide we want to supplement and take a multivitamin, we're going by the uh, so-called RDAs to determine how much we have. Now, let me just throw this in, into the mix. I've been in the skincare business since 1982, and I've been helping people with burns and with acne and with dry skin and with with uh, uh, post-surgical traumas and even just aging skin. And let me tell you something. If you are stranded on a desert island and you can only bring one ingredient for your skin, make sure that ingredient is vitamin C. But it has to be a special form of vitamin C because ascorbic acid, which is the standard form, the cheap form of vitamin C, is water soluble. It dissolves in water. It's also very, very unstable. It breaks down quite quickly in water, in, uh, in the presence of oxygen or in the presence of light. And the skin has a waxy coating on the surface that's like almost like a microscopic, microscopically thin fingernail on the skin surface that's designed to keep water in and to keep water out. That's why you don't dissolve into a puddle at the bottom of the bathtub when you take a shower. The water beads off of your skin. And that's why, God forbid, if you were to get 
third-degree burns and go to the burn ward, they would put Vaseline on top of your skin to keep you from desiccating. So this waxy layer is very functional and very important. However, what that waxy layer does is it prevents the entrance of water-soluble materials, water-soluble active materials from getting into the skin, into the lower levels of the skin where the viable cells are at the bottom of the skin. Contrary to appearances, the skin is stratified. It has layers and all the good stuff is in the bottom. The surface of the skin is maybe as thick as one-tenth of a piece of notebook paper. The next layer down, the so-called epidermis, is about maybe one piece of notebook paper. And then underneath that, the dermis is about nine pieces of notebook paper. And to get beautiful skin and healthy skin and to keep wrinkles from happening and to keep moisture factors going and to uh, uh, pr protect the immune system of the skin, you've got to figure out a way to get that vitamin C through that waxy layer. And that's why you need to be using, if you're using topical vitamin C, fat-soluble vitamin C, fatty vitamin C, lipophilic vitamin C is what we call it in chemistry. So vitamin C is very important for the internal part inside the body for building connective tissue, uh, for uh, building blood vessels, for supporting the immune system, for adrenal health, for the health of the thyroid, etc. But topically, you can do wonderful things for anti-aging and for healing and for protecting the skin or reversing even uh, skin diseases by using fat-soluble or lipophilic vitamin C. Yeah, and the sun is a, a form of getting vitamin C. Uh, yeah. poor, poor Mr. Sun. Poor Mr. Sun. All it does is love us. All mm. it does is nurture us. All it does is stream loving photonic energy that can be converted. By the way, your skin is a solar transferring system that turns photons into electrons. We are solar beings. And while we, everything we eat is designed to eat the sun, and when we eat our hamburgers or when we eat our salads or our bananas or whatever we're eating, we're really eating to get the the electrons that have been converted uh, from the photons, right? So we're solar, beings, we're solar beings uh, and the skin is designed to take – eating is a very important way to get electrons for sure. That's why you want to eat living food and live food and unprocessed food, electron-rich food. But you can get electrons from the photons in the sun when you're out in the sun. It's like you're eating light. You're eating light, exactly. We are light beings. How cool is that? And, right? and the public, right. yeah, and the public doesn't even know that um, cancer, skin cancer has gone up since the use of um, of uh, sunblock. And let me tell you because, something. As a skincare company, and Johnson and Johnson, go on, yeah. Recently, right? Mm. There are the, among the most toxic substances you could ever put on your skin are the sunscreens. And when I had, I had a compounding pharmacy for many years where I made, I had to fill prescriptions for skincare products. And I would occasionally have to fill prescriptions for octomethoxycinamate and octocrylene and these sunscreen chemicals. When they came in, they would come in with a skull and crossbones on the bottle. And yeah. when I was formulating with these sunscreens that were rubbing all over our skin and the doctors are telling you, you got to layer up a slather on your skin, I'd wear a mask and I'd wear gloves. So I wouldn't have to touch or breathe the yeah. nasty chemicals that uh, our medical models telling people that they have to rub on lots of. They say you're supposed to rub on as much as you put a shaving cream on your skin. And by the way, SPF is not a measurement of how much stronger a product is or a sunscreen chemical is. It's a measurement of how much longer you can stay out in the sun. And the more SPF you're putting on your skin, the higher your SPF, the more nasty, toxic chemicals you're putting on your skin. So if you are using an SPF product, a sunscreen chemical, use a low SPF, as low as you can, and get it off your skin when you come out of the sun. And even better, 
Use a sun block, not a sun screen. Use zinc oxide, which is a sun block. And not only does zinc oxide block all the rays of the sun, but unlike the, the sunscreen chemicals, zinc oxide is non-toxic and will actually heal your skin as much as it will protect your skin. And oh, by mm. the way, when you're out in the sun, the sun breaks down sunscreens. So while you may have an SPF in the bottle, when it hits the sun, it's no longer the same SPF because not only is the sun breaking down that molecule, but it's actually converting that molecule into an uber toxic molecule. It's electrifying that toxin. So it is the stupidest of all uh, dermatological strategies to apply sunscreens on your skin when you have these alternatives. Let me just say one last thing. The best way to protect your skin is to eat vegetables and fruits and colors and reds and greens and blues and to use N-acetylcysteine and to use taurine and to use omega fatty acids and to take in vitamin C and vitamin E. If we really care about health in this country and around the world, we would have national nutrient insurance, not national health yes. insurance. So yeah. we're just, we evolved in the sun, in the presence of the sun, but we also evolved eating vegetables and eating fruits and those pigments that protect the skin, you know, fruit, uh, protect the plant. Plants are out in the sun all day long. They never get skin cancer, right? Plants are out <laughs> in the sun all day long and they never get, uh, they never get wrinkles, right? Because plants have mechanisms, pigments and fats and phytonutrients that protect them from the sun. When we eat those, they go into our skin and protect us from the sun. Yeah. And we are light manifest in a physical body. I love so. that. That, that's the most beautiful thing. The, the secret of light, there's a guy named Walter Russell. You may know who Walter Russell is. Mm. He wrote a lot about the secret of light. And not only is our bodies, not only are we light beings, but check this out. This computer, uh, your headphones, your beautiful necklaces, everything around us, all of reality is the sun. Because photons bounce off. Photons are all come from the sun bounce off this stapler and hit my eyes. And that's how I know this stapler exists. And this stapler itself is built out of electrons that ultimately came from photons. And this is why ancient people worshiped the sun. They call the sun God. And in fact, today we call the sun God, except we call it the S-O-N God. When in reality, it is the sun that is God. And this is why mm. throughout the Bible, Sunday, Sunday, that's what Sunday is about. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And this mm. is what this is about. When thy body, when thy eye is single, thy body shall be filled with light. And when we understand how the world is built, when we understand how reality is structured, we will understand that there is nothing here but light. And everything yeah. we do in terms of nourishing our bodies, in terms of taking nutritional supplements, in terms of oxygenation, is all the end result of uh, electronic energy that originally was born as photons in the sky, as photons from yeah. the sky. Yeah. But so while we're on the topic of toxicity, uh, I'm going to jump around here a bit. But so, you know, supermarkets, for the most part, do not contain food, right? I mean, right. they... Right. right. So almost everything in a supermarket, even the produce, if it's GMO and been sprayed, it's everything's right. toxic. So right. there's no nutrition in a supermarket. And we're eating for nutrition, not recreation, because disease is a function of a lack of nutrition. Um, but the toxicity you mentioned about the sunscreen is important. Like you wouldn't touch this stuff. Right. 
fluoride is so toxic and it's it's in toothpaste, it's in the water. And, you know, I always say like, well, you know, you can't believe what's going on is planned. Well, they deliberately poison you. They deliberately poison your drinking water and deliberately poison your, your toothpaste. But getting back to vitamin C, a, a little story. My friend's father was dying and did die of um, a blood cancer. And he, I educated him and he was all ears. And he asked the hospital, as they're putting in, so chemotherapy is a derivative of World War I mustard gas. It's a neurotoxin. It causes cancer. It's carcinogenic. It sure. is so toxic, you can't touch it. You can't even, if, if someone who took it peed on you for some reason, it would burn you. So, yeah. um, so people don't realize chemo causes cancer. Right. So my point is, in the hospital, as they're putting chemo in his father's vein, he said, I want my dad to have megadose intravenous vitamin C. And I told him he had 100,000 grams, 100,000 grams liquid twice a day, every day for two weeks, and he will be healed. And the hospital's protocol doesn't do it. And basically, uh, the hospital is like, it's just a vitamin. But they were willing to put poison in his vein. Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't put vitamin C in, and his father yeah. died. And he, 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 he was starting to get a lawyer, but he, his father passed. And never got the vitamin C. That's how you know you said so many amazing things there. First of all, the fluoride, you know, the fluoride was originally used by the Russians and by the Germans as a dumbing agent to keep prisoners docile. Okay. So and, and it's found in Prozac and these uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And you if you ever see anybody with Prozac, you can see fluoride poisoning. So one has to wonder what the relationship between domestication and docilization of the general public is and the the the, uh, the uh, inclusion of fluoride in drinking water. And you if you get a if you go get a prescription drug for fluoride, the dose is two point two milligrams, and you don't take four point four milligrams. You take two point two milligrams, but you get that same amount of fluoride in a, in a couple of glasses of water. And who's regulating that? So that alone tells you about the problems with fluoride. Uh, vitamin C, by the way, will protect you to some extent from fluoride. So every time you brush your teeth or with fluoridated toothpaste or or, or ingest fluoride water, or, or and by the way, here's if you're eating organic, chances are the water that was used to grow that organic vegetable had fluoride in it. So it's everywhere and there, there's yeah. no way to get around it. And vitamin C, among other nutrients, is one of the best ways to protect yourself from fluoride. As far as vitamin C or as far as chemotherapy goes, um, this is really interesting and very important. Cancer is an adaptive response. There's no such thing as cancer, by the way. There's no such thing as breast cancer. There's no such thing as prostate cancer. There's no such thing as bone cancer. There's no such thing as liver cancer. There is breast cell cancer. There is prostate cell cancer. There is bone cell cancer. There is thyroid cell cancer. And this is not just semantics. This is an extremely, extremely important point to understand. Because when you understand that cancer is a cellular phenomena, not an organ phenomena, you can begin to uh, address the nexus of the disease because we don't see it as a cellular phenomena. We take the thyroid out because we don't see it as a cellular phenomena. We poison the liver because we don't see it as a cellular phenomena. We lose our power because we don't see it as a cellular phenomena. We don't understand what's causing it. And we look for a cure for cancer. Guess what? There will never be a cure for cancer because cancer is an adaptive response. Cancer is a way that a cell learns to cope with its environment. 
A cancer cell is a cell that is now uh, dividing and growing in a way that will allow it to survive duress. So when a cell is under duress, when it's hypoxic, when there's no oxygen present, or when it's malnourished or when it's toxic, as we said earlier, what's supposed to happen is the cell will die. But occasionally, instead of dying, that cell flips into an ancient way of behaving that is more like a bacteria than it is like a cell. Now, there's in order, a quick digression. There's two types of cells. There's advanced cells, which we call UEU, karyotes. And then there's primitive cells, which we call prokaryotes. These prokaryote primitive cells don't have the same substructures. They don't have the same organization. They don't do the same things. And most importantly, they divide very, very rapidly and, and they don't contribute to the team. For a liver cell, for a hepatocyte to function appropriately, it gives up its individuality and becomes a liver. For uh, osteocyte to uh, become bone, it gives up its osteocytic nature, its cellular nature, and gives itself up to the team. A cancer cell is a cell that has been so duressed and so poisoned and so starved and so toxified that it's like, screw you, I'm not gonna be a liver. I'm just gonna be my own thing. I'm not gonna contribute to the team. You've been abusing me for so long that I am just going to divide by myself. It's a sociopathic cell that is now has learned to cope. The only way it can cope, much like our criminals in our environment, are not really bad people. They're just learning to cope the way they know how to cope. And a cancer yeah. cell is the same way. And what do we do with our prisoners? We kill them. We stick them in jail. We ignore them. We don't want to. We don't want to see they exist. And what do we do with our poor little bone cells and thyroid cells and liver cells and prostate cells and breast cells, we kill them, yep. chemo them. Instead of giving them the nourishment they need, instead of giving them the oxygen they need, instead of giving them a, the clean place to do their, do their work that they need, we say, we're going to kill you. And of course, the stupidity of it all is there are cells. They're us. Yeah. We're yeah. killing ourselves. Yeah. And so when you do chemotherapy, of course you're going to die because you're killing your cells. But because we don't see ourselves as cellular beings, as being made up of cells, and we don't see our organs as being cellular structures, we think we don't see the connection between taking chemotherapy and killing the cells and killing ourselves unless, mm. God forbid, you have chemotherapy and you feel it. You know you're killing yourself because you feel so miserable, you almost want to die of the cancer. And in fact, Many people, like you alluded to, die of the chemotherapy. Probably more people die, way more people die of the chemotherapy than get helped by the chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, the cell just needs the good stuff. It's just suffering. And there's a metaphor there that we all want to pay attention to. There's a price to be paid when we abuse our environment. There's a price to be paid when we abuse ourselves. And there's a price to be paid when we abuse our cells themselves. And the, uh, the way you want to reverse this process is to get rid of the abuse and start to love the body. And I just say this one last thing, because it's very important to anybody who's dealing with cancer. I have a textbook. Uh, it's not easy reading, but it's a textbook called Spontaneous Remissions from Cancer. And it's a list of all uh, a, a list of case studies of people who have spontaneously remitted from cancer. Not only that, but there's a wonderful New York Times article that came out in 2011 that talks about cancer 
coming and going. You can Google this. Just Google New York Times article on cancer cells coming and going. Cancer is uh, the body has an uh, amazing way of dealing with cancer. It excises cancer cells themselves because throughout evolu our evolutionary history, cancers occurred and mutations occurred. So we have a wonderful ability to deal with cancer. It's only when the situation has gotten overwhelming, too overwhelming for the body, that we decide we want to take corrective actions. And for the most part, those corrective actions involve interacting with the medical model with things like chemotherapy. For people who have cancer, first of all, the most important thing with all diseases, including cancer, the number one thing is, and if you want to reverse that disease or take care of that disease, is the willingness to do it. And those of us who are healthcare professionals know good and well that there are, are uh, there are uh, ulterior motives for our disease states. And mm -hmm. many people are vested in their diseases, whether consciously or unconsciously, through their belief systems. And so the first thing you have to understand if you're dealing with cancer or any chronic disease is you have to there's an element of willingness that has to be there, an, ele an element of belief that you can do it that has to be there. And that's the first thing. And mm -hmm. once you have that, there's many strategies you can use for dealing with cancer. And I tell people, don't even worry about your cancer. Your job is to feel good. Don't worry about your diagnosis. I call this the myth of the diagnosis. We think that it's the diagnosis that needs to be fixed. It's not the diagnosis. It's how we feel. Who cares if you got a diagnosis of cancer, but you feel awesome? Who cares yes. if you don't have a diagnosis of cancer, but you feel like crap? No. It's how we feel. We've allowed, we've allowed the pharmacomedical model to set the, to set the criteria for health. And the, the simple criteria, the obvious criteria is how do you feel has become marginalized to how, what your cholesterol levels are, are, or what your blood pressure is, or what your blood urea nitrogen, or your your BMR or your or BMI or your thyroid levels or whatever the marker is, we've allowed the marker to become uh, our health. And so what mm. I say to have cancer is don't worry about it. You just feel, figure out a way to feel good. How do you do it? By oxygenating, by keeping toxicity out of your body, by making sure you're eating correctly and nutriating, by praising God, by thinking correct thoughts, by feeling correct feelings, by loving, by helping other people. But there's so many different ways and so many different strategies and techniques that we can employ to feel awesome in our lives, no matter what our diagnosis is. I'm not talking, you have severe, uh, severe debilitating pain, you know, pain is pain and it's a message that's coming in from the body. But shy of severe debilitating pain, don't worry about your diagnosis. Live a loving, kind, inspiring, powerful life. Make sure you're taking care of your body on all four levels, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. Praise God and let mother nature do its work. Mm. I always say my tagline is, well, you know, for my friends who have cancer, I go, well, if you want to live, uh, you know, don't be anywhere near a doctor, a hospital and stop eating solid food. That's, so, that's, those are all wonderful points. Alexander the Great said, I am being killed by too many doctors. He was, uh, yeah. that, was uh, that was in. Uh, I mean, I know we're, yeah, I guess the last thing I want to say is, you know, I totally like with my brother, I'm like, I don't care what your PSA is. I don't care what the doctor says. Right. So, um, but the problem is back to knowledge. People are good natured and they, they don't know they're being duped and they yeah. trust the yeah. medical industry to give them the advice. And you'll never hear Sloan Kettering say, you need to alkalize and detox yes. and get nutrients. Yes. Um, you know, uh, Joel Wallach is a is a nutritional guy. He has products. He I worked for well. the NIH. I yeah, he well. 
he determined cystic fibrosis was caused by a lack of nutrition. He wanted to get it out and the NIH fired him and they put Fauci in charge. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love what you just said, though. It's really re very fascinating and interesting point. The problem is we are too kind and loving and innocent and trusting. We believe we don't believe somebody's going to lie right to our face. We don't believe that the powers that be have nefarious intentions and, and are on a control and power trip. We're just good. We're just good. Most people are good and kind. They're not. Ben, there's a so poison. On, there's a poison warning on your toothpaste label. Read it. Right. You no, know? it's right. there. And you also said something else very interesting. And I agree with you. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge is potential power. Action is power. So what we do and what we're doing here in this conversation, and presumably you guys all do this on your podcast and with your patients, is we give people knowledge. We give people potential power. But for that potential power to be actualized, it actually has to turn into work. It has to turn into action. And that's where the individual, uh, that's where the individual has responsibility in how their life shows up. We're all doing what we can do. And, you know, we're all on the same team. All of us here on this podcast, we're all on the same team because we want to give people knowledge. But at the end of the day, it's up to the individual to take what they're hearing today, to take what they're here, uh, reading in their books and in their magazines and wherever they're getting their information from and turn it into action and begin today. And it's not hard to do. You can do it first thing in the morning just by being grateful for wiggling your toes or being grateful for the fact that you're alive or being grateful for the fact that you have a warm bed that you just slept in, or you have a, a, a roof over your head or whatever it is, just being grateful alone will activate the parasympathetic nervous system, your healing nervous system, your rest and digest nervous system. And you can begin doing it today. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we could keep going, but um, I'm going to give it back to grace and I really appreciate it. And I hope to connect with you again. Thank you. I appreciate all you guys. Thank you for what you're doing. I'll bring, I'll bring a question from the audience. <clears throat> Ask Ben about colloidal silver and other minerals for regular supplementation. First of all, colloidal silver is medicinal and it kills things and it's got antimicrobial properties, et cetera. I, I study medicine, but I don't like the concept of medicine in the sense that medicine comes from the word middle. And the med medicine is like a middleman. Nutrients are what we are. Our there's no medicine in our body. There's nutrients in our body. It's always focusing on chemistry. That being said, if you got to kill something, you're better off using colloidal silver or iodine than you are using an antibiotic. So colloidal silver has its place in terms of in terms of antimicrobial and antibacterial activities in terms of healing, uh, or in terms of improving healing. But I tend to focus my energy on more nutritional things. Minerals are very interesting. In fact, in the world of nutrition, the most confusing subject is the subject of minerals. And that's because there's no such thing as minerals in the world of nutrition. There's no mineral, I shouldn't say that, with the exception of the bones and the teeth and the hard tissues in the body, there's really no minerals. There are elements and ions in the body. And so when we talk about minerals, what we really want to understand is it's not the mineral that the body needs, it's the element that the body needs. It's not calcium hydroxide or calcium citrate, it's the calcium. It's not a, a selenium monomethionine or, or selenium glycinate. It's the selenium. And so minerals or elements don't exist by themselves in nature because they're very reactive. This is the minerals, by the way. And anybody who wants to understand health should understand this thing. Can you see this? It's called the periodic table. 
All right. And each one of these things plays a role in our health, but they exist uh, in uh, on the periodic table as just themselves. But in nature, they're not found that way. So the trick to getting the power of these is to find the form that's important, that, that is most powerful for the body. And the most uh, a powerful form of these substances is the form that's found in plants and in the dirt. In fact, between the plants and the dirt, you have the main way that we're supposed to assimilate these elements into the body. See, the earth is a rock, right? The earth is like the moon, except there's one difference. There's life on earth and there's no life on the moon, right? But essentially, the earth is the moon, except for about two to three feet of stuff that's on top of the moon. This is what makes the moon different, the earth different from the moon, at least the, the terrestrial part of the earth. I'm not talking about the ocean, but the terrestrial part of the earth is covered with three feet of stuff that makes it different from the moon. But if you dive deep underneath that three feet of stuff, you're gonna find the moon. So what is it about that three feet of stuff? That three feet or two to three feet of stuff that we call soil is where the life is. And what is this soil? This soil is the end result of magical microbes that eat the earth and secrete out from the earth, which is dead, from the earth, which is mineral, from the earth, which is the moon. They eat the moon, they eat the mineral, they eat the rock, and they secrete out magical elements. They turn the rock into electrified elements. These electrified elements are secreted out of these microbes. They're called lithotropes, which means stone eaters. They're secreted out of these lithotropic organisms in long strings. So now instead of a rock, you have a long string of individual atoms. This is amazing, okay? Nobody knows how this is done, and you can't do this in a factory, and there's no industrial way of doing this. Only these tiny little invisible microbes have the ability to do this. Sit with that for a second. That's pretty amazing, right? So these long strings of elements that are connected to each other conduct electrical energy. They have an electrical charge. They've been turned into inert rock into long strings of electrically active elements. And wherever you have electricity, you have magnetism, it's called electromagnetism, the forces go together. And so these long strings of electrically charged, electrically active elements that have been digested and secreted out of these lithotropes now have a magnetic field around them. And this magnetic field attracts in amino acids, it attracts in fatty acids, it attracts in other elements, it attracts in plant materials, it attracts in uh, uh, vitamins, and creates these nutritional complexes. They're called humic acid complexes. And these complexes go into the plant, they get sucked up into the plant, and they go into the plants, through the plant's root system, up the plant's stalk, into the plant cells. And because they're electrically active, they have an ability to open up plant cells. Plant cells have elements, have little doorways on them called voltage gates. And these voltage gates respond to the electrical voltage of these substances that have come in through the plant's root system into the plants. They get opened up and they dump their payload into the, a plant cell, and this is how plants get nutrient and fed. Then, over the course of time, the plant dies, 
and its organic material goes into the back into the earth and the organic material decays and deteriorates. And what's left behind are these electrically active minerals or elements. They're not minerals, they're electrically active elements. And the whole thing starts all over again. And this is how we are supposed to get our minerals, i.e. elements through plants and through the soil. Now, we know that our soils are depleted because they're, they're acidic. We know that we've ruined the topsoil because of uh, dams and because of our water supply. And pretty much everything we've done from farming to industrialization has corrupted the soil. So the soils no longer have these kinds of nutrients. The plants no longer have these kinds of nutrients. So now we're forced to do things like supplement. And by the way, I talk about supplementation all the time. I know you guys do as well, but I hate that I have to supplement. I wish I didn't have to supplement. I wish everything was, we were in the Garden of Eden and we could just pull the apple off the tree and, you know, eat the nutritious plants and have everything we need, but that's no longer the case. And so while we should be getting our elements, our ions, uh, our nutritional elements, which we call minerals from, from plants uh, and from the animals that eat the plants, today you have to supplement and it's an absolute must to supplement. But when you're supplementing with, with these elements, which we call minerals, you want to make sure you're supplementing with things that are bioavailable to the body. And the most important kinds of minerals are going to be plant-derived minerals, which Dr. Wallach, as you probably know, talks a lot about, or uh, ionic, ionic elements, which you can get from, um, from fruits and from vegetables. Uh, they're found in the liquid parts of fruits and, and in vegetables, or also from uh, fulvic acid. They're called fulvic acid supplements. Fulvic acids are these electrical compounds. The humic acids are the whole nutritional complex that's associated with these electrical compounds. So plant-derived minerals, eating your plants, eating your vegetables, uh, using fulvic mineral supplements. And then if you're going to supplement with uh, ordinary minerals, make sure they're bioavailable in the sense that the thing that's attached to the elements, remember these elements don't exist by themselves, they're too reactive. Make sure that the thing that's attached to the chromium or the selenium or the iodine or whatever it is, is easy for the body to process. And for the most part, that's not going to be found in your standard multiple vitamin. You're going to have to go out of your way to find elements that are easy for the body to process. I personally like fulvic mineral and plant-derived minerals, which as you know, Dr. Wallach and Longevity talk about a lot. And I'm part of Longevity as well. And I'm a big believer in Dr. Wallach's message. Thank you very much. If we will reach out to you again, please you. come back again. I'll, you, I'll reach out to you. Yeah, and all you guys, if all you guys could send me an email, I'd love to have you on my podcast, The Bright Side, all of you. Oh, cool. Thank, <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Grace. Much. Really, really. Hey, Grace, big props to you for what you're doing. It's really, really oh. awesome. <laughs> okay. That's why and her name is Grace. That's right. I love that. Thank you. Thanks, Grace. It's all our own. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Please share this. Keep sharing. Thank you all and have a blessed day.